Hi there, and thanks for listening. If you're enjoying our podcast and have a recommendation about someone you think that we should have on to share their voice and journey with the world, by all means, let us know. It could be an aid worker, monastic, author, journalist, doctor, resistance leader, really anyone with some tie or another to the ongoing situation in Myanmar. To offer up a name, go to our website, insightmyanmar.org, and let us know. But for now, just sit back and take a listen to today's podcast. happy on this episode of Insight Myanmar podcast to start the first interview of what we think will be several to follow with Jonathan Crowley, a friend uh, on the path that I've known for many years. And it's uh, great to finally get a chance to sit here and have a, a an intimate conversation together, which will also be public and that we will explore and see where it goes. So Jonathan, thanks so much for taking the time to join us and talk about yourself and your path and practice. Yeah, super, you're super welcome, Joa. It's great to connect with you and to, um, in some ways, continue conversations we, we started many years ago in, in Myanmar. So um, <laughs> I, really, I really appreciate the opportunity and the invitation. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, and you you really hit on something that that was one of the impetus long before the coup, before the pandemic of wanting to start the podcast, is having what I felt like were a series of really special, rarefied conversations with all kinds of people and wanting to find a way to bring those conversations out from where they were happening to a wider community, which is what we're doing now. So before we get into into your your practice and and your meditation and your path, as we always do and learning a bit about who the people are before they started practicing. If you could share a bit about your life growing up and uh, your family and the influences and conditions that led you to start meditating and take take your time and telling however that lays out and progresses. Sure. Uh, great question. Um, so I uh, grew up in New York City um, and I was, I was, well, I was born in 1964 um, and was born and raised in New York um, both of my parents were professionals, and I have um, two uh, brothers. Um, and um, yeah, I think in some ways, um, meditation, some seeds around meditation were planted um, fairly early on, actually, really, in some ways, by my father. Um, he was a um, kind of early psychiatrist um, in with the early psychiatric movement in the United States um, in the twenties uh, and thirties, um, the 1920s and thirties. Um, and 
by uh, by the time I was born, he was actually looking at a lot of East-West influences um, that were beginning to impact the you know psychoanalysis at that time, um, and that included Krishnamurti, who he would go see live, um, and then he was reading a lot of Alan Watts. Um, and I remember he gave me an early edition of, of Cahill Gibran's book, and those planted a lot of seeds for me. Um, but one thing he also did was he tried transcendental, you know, or TM meditation um, at, at one point. And I just, you know, I remember as probably an 11 or 12 year old seeing him sitting in a chair with his eyes closed and wondering, what's going on? Mm. <laughs> so, so that, you know, these were, yeah, these were significant seats for me. Um, and then, you know, by the time I was in high school, I was definitely kind of, you know, sort of being drawn to more really, I mean, in some ways, just philosophy and some mystical stuff, you know, and ex- exploring. And, um, and then I read, I think it was, well, I read a lot of Alan Watts's books. Um, and then I also read, um, uh, beginner's mind. Um, and that, that, yeah, that sort of, I think I began to really, um, seek, um, teachings and that sort of thing. Um, what then happened was, um, I was taking a one year therapeutic massage training, you know, program. I had moved to Amherst, Massachusetts and, um, you know, a number of, of teachers and some students were uh, meditating at the Insight Meditation Society uh, Center in Barrie, Massachusetts. And I got a list from, of meditation centers from the person who made my massage table. And Goenka, SN Goenka Center was listed there um, as well. Uh, so, I was also seeing in Amherst um, in those days, the center would post, uh, you know, posters um, about their upcoming 10 day courses. And so all these things began to add up. And on my, I think on my 20th birthday, um, I went to a, just like a long weekend, like a four day introductory meditation with um, uh Let's see, uh, uh, Larry, um, hold on a second. Uh, he's one of the founders of IMS. I'm forgetting mm-hmm. his name. Um, anyway, it'll come. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that was my first uh, real taste of doing a retreat. And shortly after that, I, um, you know, I was mentioning that I had done that. Uh, it was a big deal for me at the age of 20 to, to be silent for four days. Mm. I was mentioning it to someone um, at a shop and the person said, well, if you thought that was interesting, you should try the 10 day course up in Shelburne. Hmm. And so that planted a seed. And then about a year later, I went for my first 10 day course and that was in 1987. Mm. Right. So that was Damodara in Shelburne Falls. That's right. And it was a very, um, you know, they, it was founded in 1981 and, hmm. um, so it was still quite new, um, and quite small at the time they were doing courses, I think for really only about, I think still 20, maybe between 25 and 40 students. Um, and you know, you know, the combination was still very simple and the whole operation was really quite small. So. 
Mm, right. So yeah, you were there in somewhat the early days, just probably somewhat. some years after the, the the technique and the teachings and appointed teachers started coming from India and Burma to be able to to lead them in the West. And that was definitely one of the first established centers that was in North America. So you, of course, you don't know any of this coming in. You're just a young kid, just having probably very little idea, even among the difference of the traditions and techniques and such, but you go and take this intensive retreat. So what was the experience as far as you can remember back to, uh, to that first 10 day course, what it was like being in it and then coming out? Yeah, it was, it was really hard. I, um, I think by that, by the time I was going into it, I, really was drawn to even, you know, thinking about a monastic way of life, mm -hmm. um, was reading different books about that and was, you know, so I, in some ways it was a test, it was sort of testing the waters. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, by the fifth day I, you know, was, had broken down. I was crying. I didn't mm -hmm. know what was going on. Mm -hmm. The task of being present every moment just seemed mm -hmm. completely overwhelming. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think I was even coming up, um, I wasn't really raised um, in a Christian household, but my schooling was very Christian. Mm. And I began to notice that I was, I think, coming up against some of my own Christian conditioning around this notion of that some external entity, you know, uh, was going to somehow provide my salvation or something. And mm. then, you know, to be kind of challenged with, being aware every moment, you mm. know, I thought, well, wait, you know, as a, as a, as a means of salvation, I was like, I can't do that. Mm. <laughs> so I was really quite, I think, you know, I was resisting it a lot all the way through. And then on the 10th day, you know, which is a, 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 it's a day for breaking silence and practicing um, loving kindness. Um, I, you know, I learned that it was actually a buffer day and that we'd have to stay another 24 hours before we actually could leave. And I was so ready to leave. So I, I actually attempted to, you know, leave that day and it didn't work out. There was no pre, you know, there was no reason to. And so, um, you know, at the end of the whole thing, I said, well, I got this out of my system. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I had no idea that, you know, another year and a half later, I'd be back for my second retreat. And then, you know, um, shortly thereafter, um, living at the center as a, um, what they call a sit, you know, what they call a sit server uh, program, which is when you um, alternate between um, sitting um, 10 day courses as a student and then serving them as a volunteer. Mm, right. That's, that's interesting. It's, it's interesting how much that also parallels my first experience of taking my first course in Kyoto, Japan in 2001. Also just having just excruciating pain of all sorts of mental, emotional, physical, every aspect and feeling like this was the greatest experience I've ever had. And I don't know if I could ever do it again. That was really my <laughs> feeling of it. <laughs> yeah, I ended up going back just only about four months later, just for a uh, like three or four days of a ten day course when I had available, and that that was also quite hard. It made me realize in my own development and path that I was I was a young kid living in Tokyo and had pretty wild life, going out, uh, staying up all night most weekends, going out to clubs and such, and was just realizing that if I, I, I can't have my feet in both boats, I, I, um, if I want to be serious about the spiritual path, I really need to, to give up the, the drinking and carousing and, and other things. And so I, I wait in my own, for my own path, I, I waited until 
I was able to to come to a, um, a closure of of what uh, of what my life was like at that time. And then as soon as I had that closure, then which was about a year, year and a half later, I went back to uh, to, to Kyoto to to do the same thing to basically live at that center and sit and serve for an extended period, which eventually brought me to Burma, as, as my own story goes. But so on on your path, your you go back a year and a half later, you go to this, uh, you go to a second ten day course, and then eventually you you also come to sit and serve at the center as as a relatively new student, just having taken a couple courses similar to what I was doing as well there. So as you started to get deeper into the practice, into the organization, having friends that were also meditators and, and teachers and having that, and, and especially once you start living at the center, that really just tremendously impacts your life. Talk a bit about that transformation and learning and what you're going through there. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's neat. Our, our, our paths are parallel very much, Joa. Um, yeah. So I think by the time I, I, so after, shortly after my first 10 day course, I, I, I you know, I, I was 21. So I was still, you know, in my college years. Um, and I was also trying to figure out those college years. Um, I was a very non-traditional student, would take a lot of, you know, years off um, just to do programs that were edifying for me on a kind of a personal sort of development basis um, and then trying to figure out how to get college credit for it. <laughs> so um, I think, uh, so I went, I, yeah, I went back to a program where I traveled internationally through Central and South and the Latin Caribbean. And um, when I came back, I, you know, I was really kind of um, uh, exhausted and it was an intense trip and it was the first time, you know, um, visiting, um, developing countries. And so I, to my surprise, I wanted to do a second 10 day course. Hmm. And, um, and by that time I had one friend who had in the meantime, sat a 10 day course. So I didn't know anyone when I first hmm. had my 10 day course. And I think that was kind of a piece of it that, um, hmm. there was no one I could talk to about that experience. And it was mm -hmm. a very profound experience. Hmm. Um, it, you know, in many ways after, you know, for, for, for six months after my first 10 day course, I would say I was acutely processing, um, it, you know, and the impact of it, um, at, you know, f you know, on an emotional level. And it was in some ways it was not a, I gave myself this, the time and space to do that. But I, looking back, I, I know after the, those, those first six months of my first, 10 day course were really, really trying to digest the experience. And, um, in some ways it was, I think somewhat destabilizing, uh, you know, mm -hmm. there, there are aspects in which, um, and I was actually nervous to meditate, um, again, after, right after the 10 day course, it took me a mm -hmm. while to, um, I think, you know, by, you know, like many students, I think by the end of the 10 day course, you know, you, you're able to sit an hour, relatively, you know, uh, at, e at ease. And, mm -hmm. but I was actually afraid to, and I, it took me a while to, um, and kind of coaxing myself really to, to begin to sit, have a, have a daily practice that was mm. significant. Um, as I was digesting a lot of the, you know, and it was really, in some ways, I think I was experiencing a lot of, you know, it was so deep and so profound um, and the, the kind of the, in some ways, the, the retreats pointers around renunciation and the ideal of the, of the monastic life and, and certainly the meditator's life, um, 
it made me question everything. It made me mm-hmm. question everything to, you know, to, you know, like I, I remember at one point asking myself, well, gosh, you know, should I just put on a backpack and walk down the highways? You know, like right, right, mm-hmm. what's, what's my life about? Like it really mm-hmm. caused me to question almost every single pathway that had been laid out in my life, including, you know, going back to college and just li- like, I was really asking myself, what is important? You know, what is, mm-hmm. what is, um, what is my purpose? What is, what is, uh, you know, and I think I was asking questions about the path in general or how to integrate the path, but it was so early on. And this initial experience was so intense that I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think I realized what was going on. Um, and so, so that's why it was such a surprise that about mm-hmm. a year and a half later, after this um, college program I was on, I, I felt ready um, mm-hmm. to do that again, knowing full well what, you know, what it was going to be like. And I think having mm-hmm. a friend, you know, knowing a friend, you know, had done it as well was really important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and yeah, so I went to my second 10 day retreat and I think, you know, again, I, as I said, I, I was resisting a lot on my first 10 day course. So on my second 10 day course, I knew, you know, <laughs> you might say I knew the drill, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I, um, I knew what I was getting myself into. And so I was in some ways more attentive and less resistant and really taking it in and mm. able to take it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I really learned more and understood what, you know, Gwenka was, Gwenka G was, was teaching mm-hmm. and, you know, was beginning to say, Oh, okay. That's what, you know, that's what this is. And mm-hmm. it was, it was a wonderful second 10 day course. Um, and, I again had a very uh, profound experience of meta at the end of that ten day course. Um, I sometimes laugh about it, but I I think I, you know Gwenkaji sometimes talks about a wellspring of of meta, you know, kind of sort of contacting a wellspring of meta, and I think that's what <laughs> happened for me because I was just in this sort of you know I don't know uh, from the outside I think it would have looked like a la la state, you know, <laughs> just I was just um, you know, I don't know, just in this space of, of um, really applying loving kindness, you know, in all my interactions. And mm. at the time I was um, woofing at a, at a flower farm, we were growing mm. flowers and making bouquets and selling them at, you know, at farmer's markets. And I remember um, at the end of making bouquets, there'd be all these leftover little teeny scraps of flowers. I would put them together in these little teeny bouquets and I would go around <laughs> just giving them to absolute strangers. <laughs> <laughs> and it was this zone I was kind of in mm. from the course, but this time it was completely different. I felt, Wow this is amazing. You know, mm. and I almost felt like I had a secret superpower, literally <laughs> just, just the meta alone felt like, mm. Oh my God, I can do this anywhere. I can mm. be mindful anywhere. Right. And, and no one even has, I don't have to talk about it. No one has mm. to know that I'm with my breath and with my mm. sensations and sending mm. meta, you know? And, and that was really, really quite an amazing um, revelation for me. Um, and so, and then what happened was I, this friend said to me, Hey, why don't we go to the center and like, you know, serve for a couple hours. And I said, what's that? (laughs) And so we went up there and, you know, there were, it was between courses. There were a number of other volunteer servers, you know, around the kitchen and, 
Um, and, you know, it was, you know, they were just getting ready for the next 10 day retreat. And then I remember um, seeing someone mowing the lawn and that person sort of stopped and came up and it turned out that he was um, my first teacher, um, mm. Barry Lapping, and mm. couldn't believe that, you know, this person who I kind of, you know, had seen from a distance, of course, I had interactions with him on the, you know, on the 10 day course. Um, but in some ways I was idealizing because he was on the mm. diet, the, the teacher seat. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe he was just mowing the lawn, you know, mm. at this and that, and also the center itself, right. What had, you know, I was in some ways digesting the fact that the center itself was this just regular place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I was just trying to, you know, um, juxtapose that with this intense life-changing experiences I just had. So it was great to go up there. And then I, that's when I learned about the sit, serve, um, mm. con, um, continuous program, mm. um, that was happening. And I think they were just starting it actually then, mm. or, you know, there had been a, there had been some people who had done it informally, but they were going to sort of, um, make it official, an official program. And I think I was one of two of the first applicants for the sit surf program at, mm. uh, at Damodara. Wow. That's amazing. And it also just brings up so many memories in, in my own path as well. I, I remember after my first course and for several courses, I, it also was such a, it had turned everything on its head that I thought I knew about who I was and what I wanted to be and, and exposing certain defilements and, and, um, and, and liberation from those. And I remember, and I just, I didn't know how to integrate it. I was so confused how to, how to put this into who I was and integrate it. And I think that's going to be a lot of this conversation going forward is how as Westerners, we, we integrate not just a spiritual practice that has its roots in the East, but also through the medium specifically of the Goenka organization and, and the culture and teachings that they instill. But for me at that early age, I, I just remember thinking like my, and I was about, I was probably a year older than you, maybe 22, 23 when I started doing it. And I remember mm. thinking like, um, you know, I've up to this point, I've been so goal oriented and what I want to achieve. And that drive for achievement has been masking these things inside myself I can't bear to look at and don't think I can ever change. This shows me a way to change them. But what does that mean for the things I still want to achieve? And what it meant for me at that age was I can work at a gas station the rest of my life and just be happy and peaceful. And I remember having like serious conversations with my family and my parents about how like, I don't need anything anymore. Like I can just get a job at the local gas station and just just be peaceful and mindful and and live a good fulfilling life and they were just incredibly alarmed at like what am I <laughs> what am I, you know what am i doing like this is not a great life goal for a recently um you know a recent uh a college graduate and whatnot and um and that that took a lot of my own journey to to start to realize how to how to uh, uh to not so much block off entire ambitions and aspirations uh, of myself and of my being, but how to, how to more cultivate uh, very carefully certain uh, this, this cocktail of thing we have the uh, cocktail of ambitions and, and intentions we have in us, which is obviously an ongoing process, but, um, but yeah, the, um, I'm and, chuckling. I'm chuckling Joe, mm-hmm. because so many similar uh, <laughs> things there around, you know, yeah, just, you know, the ambition achievement that what you're, conditioned and 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 if you don't mind I, I think i'll turn back a little bit just to to say what was happening to me before my first 10-day course um 
because I so for you know for my elementary and high schooling I was um, I was educated in a in an independent school in New York and it was very high pressure mm. and it was sort of a conveyor belt school to you know Ivy League schools and when I came out of that um, I was really disillusioned um, and partly because I didn't feel like I knew myself um, so this is you know at the age of eighteen and. And I said, you know, I kind of va- took a vow for myself. So I'll never allow that kind of, you know, I'll never put myself through that kind of educational experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I was very, um, but, you know, my, you know, my father was a psychiatrist in New York. My mother was also a professional. She was a literary agent. Um, I was in a school with the upper crust of, even though my family didn't, um, was not at that you know, sort of level. I was in a school with upper crust folks from, you know, kids from New York. And um, it was, you know, those expectations were kind of raining down on me in a similar way, I think, than, that as you're describing. And I was, I had already begun a process of, in some ways, actively um, challenging them and or looking for alternatives. Um, so, um I think what's significant to mention is just that prior to sitting my first 10 day course, I underwent um, about a couple years of um, sort of uh, intensive body centered therapy. Um, and again, I was addressing issues kind of coming out of my family of origin. There were some alcoholism issues in my family that I was addressing. Um, and, you know, I was really, really drawn to holistic health. Um, that was a huge, you know, I was in this therapeutic massage program intensive for a year. Um, and, you know, it had, uh, it was looking at, you know, the whole self, you know, how to, how to, you know, just aspects of the whole self and healing. And so that was the pretext for going into my first 10 day course. Um, I'm the son of a psychiatrist. I, I had undergone a very intensive um, period of, um, you know, you know, psychotherapy, um, via, a, you know, a body centered method. And I was enrolled in, you know, this, uh, very in-depth, um, holistic healing program. So, um, you know, that, that, that theme of integration that you mentioned was in some ways important to me from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think our comp- you know, as we, as we can continue the conversation, um, you know, it'd be interesting to just, go more in depth about how that sort of took prominence for me. Yeah. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's where there's definitely a, uh, <laughs> the, the pre, um, uh, first course I think is definitely where there's some divergence between us because I was just partying on all, uh, times of the night in Tokyo for the couple of years before I took my first course. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so I didn't have, I, I, I have, I remember at the time talking to other people that were my age that had started to do yoga or, or follow, um, certain kind of dietary things or, or live in nature or something. And so their first course was, was, was very difficult, but also kind of in lo- kind of the next step in line, even though it was a very big step from what they'd already done for me, it was, ju- yeah, I, mean, I was interested in, sp- I was very interested in spirituality and the subconscious and psychedelics at that time. And just what, and Carl Jung and Cast- Castaneda, all these different influences yeah, that yeah. were, that were coming yeah. at me, but I didn't have an understanding. I mean, the thing that was really a shock to my system and my friends at the time who I ended up bringing in to do it was this idea that ethical living and and what 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 are ethics even because at that time that just all seems subjective but that ethical living 
actually had some bearing on the spiritual experience. That was just, those were two things that had never crossed my mind. So it wasn't that I was, I was living, I wouldn't say that I was living a, a hedonistic life at the time, even though I was, I was engaged in all that because the intention was not fun. It wasn't just to be young and have a crazy time. The intention with everything I was doing then was wanting to learn more about myself and go deeper into myself and understand what the world was and how to have a fulfilling life. Uh, but I just didn't understand that ethical component, and and that um, that was the thing that 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 Theravada meditation, um, yeah, Ther- Theravada Buddhism, Vipassana meditation, the Goenka discourse, whatever you want to call it, that that whole experience turned the light on of what of, of where where following ethics is integrated and plays into the greater spiritual path. And that, that was something that, that set me out on that. But it sounds like for you that that's this kind of holistic, um, natural way of living was something that, that you were already working towards in, in many ways. And so, and, and being aware of the body and healing and those kinds of things. And this was, this was just another layer on top of, or, or another step, a very important and extremely significant step, but going towards the direction that you'd already been interested in prior to that time. Yeah, I would say that's correct. Um, I think I was beginning those, beginning to take those steps um, in, on different levels. I remember I was, you know, just prior to my first Sunday course, I was living in households that, you know, we had sort of a, you know, yeah, no alcohol, no drug policy. We were vegetarian. Um, we, you know, I had just come out of a year-long environmental program as well. Um, where there was an emphasis on that kind of living. Um, and so, um, yeah, so to see, um, and then of course, just, you know, just coming out of just my family of origin, I knew the harms of, you know, so I was definitely on a healing path on those fronts, um, you know, had done some Al-Anon work um, and, you know, saw the harm, right? Saw the harm and, and that, and knew that, I mean, in some ways that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to go to traditional university or college was because I didn't want to live, you know, mm-hmm. in dorms and that culture that I knew was a big part of it. So I was, you know, I already, yeah, I was already taking, you know, a couple of years off by the time I went in my first mm-hmm. 10 day course. And in some ways I, yeah, I characterized myself as sort of, you know, beginning to slip through the cracks. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, that I remember, you know, remember reading about, you know, from say, you know, Ram Das and Timothy Lear, you know, just the, you know, kind of slipping through the cracks of uh, conventional or traditional or, you know, society's expectations on that level. Um, uh, and was, yeah. And was actually even, you know, on a renunciate level, embracing some of that. I was, I remember reading a book called, you know, chop water, carry wood. And it was kind of mm-hmm. discussing, a, you know, in some ways a very simple monastic, but lay lifestyle, you know, um, around, and I was living in a cabin without electricity mm-hmm. and running water and it was just biking to work. So I was definitely taking those steps and this was then kind of, um, yeah, another further furthering of that. And it was also intensive for me. It was still, you know, it was still really super hard. And, and I think that's why the questioning afterwards was like, oh, okay, so what does this mean? You know, where am I going? What, you know, I I thought I was on this kind of general, you know, I would say I would probably typify myself as being in the new age, you know, Mm -hmm. as sort of a new ager type, you know, or a budding new ager, you might say. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, that cut through even all of that, right? It just cut through Mm -hmm. um, the, I don't know, the 
I don't. I mean, you know, that's it's a very valid world, of course. But you know, it cut through some of the superficial aspects of that. It cut through, you know, just yeah. It just, I just went to the root of like, oh my gosh, what is, you know, what is what is what is purpose? What what mm-hmm. is the purpose of my life? So, um, so yeah. So it was then kind of a surprise to come back, and then yeah, another three months later, I was living at the center, um, and. <laughs> I think I think you hit on a really interesting thing because that early going of a passion experience, what it what it does to many people, certainly to, to to me, and it sounds like to you as well, is you go in thinking I'm this kind of person, I I believe in this kind of thing, I have this kind of value, and it just strips away those labels and and just lays bare. And I think that also becomes some of the conundrum in going through with going to meditation as we'll get to later that it, it, uh, it, at least for me, it started to feel labelless. It started to feel like there is no label here. It, it's removed all context and labeling. And this is just what is and that, and actually there, there are labels going on there at a, at a deeper level that takes a bit more experience to be able to, to uncover and find. But the initial experience, the, the shock of that really just strips bear away what one thinks one is. And, uh, in that silence and in that technique, um, but staying with where the story, where you are now. So you, you know, it sounds like these first two courses were kind of, um, like your, your, all these other things in the world. And then you're going and taking a course and going back to the world. But then when you go and sit and serve living at the center for that period, at least, and maybe thereafter, you're, you're becoming something new. You're not just touching and experiencing and bringing it back to your life, but you're actually now becoming something a part of, of this organization and technique, and it's becoming a part of you. Uh, I don't know if that's fair to say. I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you and, and share just what this transformation was like as you started to go deeper with this extended experience actually living in the center. Yeah. And I, you know, I was definitely, you know, again, I was searching, searching for pathways. I was, you know, almost every, when I would finish um, some kind of educational program, whether it was accredited or not, I would sort of, you know, think about, okay, what's the next step where, where, you know, and I really was not following um, a traditional, you know, four-year college um, thing. And I didn't even really know how I was going to accredit some of the programs I was doing, but I was following, um, uh, just my own heart and my um, just my sense of idealism about what I sort of needed next. And, um, and so when this opportunity came up, I remember, you know, I, it was, <laughs> it was juxtaposed with another choice. I was going to do, I think a sort of an intensive theater um, training and that was, and I was choosing, okay, well, mm. should I do, should I do, should I sit serve or should I go? And, and, mm. I, you know, I chose to go to the center and, and, and live there for eight or nine months. And, um, and yeah, I knew coming into it that, oh, this is going to be something, um, to be, to be doing this, you know, back to back, you know, retreats. And I didn't, you know, but I looked at it also as a kind of another program that I had enrolled in, you know, and, um, that was Mm -hmm. part of this, I, you know, this path, uh, sort of, you know, what I was going to be, you know, doing around, you know, that was going to inform sort of my higher education. Um, mm. And in many ways, it was a higher education, <laughs> just mm. uh, in a very profound way. So yeah, so I landed at the center. And um, it was kind of hilarious, because I was so nervous. Um, 
you know, and not knowing what was really expected of me. And it was hilarious. There was a sit server there uh, when I, the, the afternoon or evening I landed and they said, Hey, you want, you want to go to a movie? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, they took me out to a movie. I was like, Oh, thank God. You know, <laughs> just, uh, okay. It's normal. You know, things are normal. Right. So, um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I began a, 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 a journey of, um, in those days, the sit serving program was, you know, you would, um, sit a 10 day course and then you would, um, serve one or two, and then you would sit another 10 day course, you know, serve one or two and then, um, sit another 10 day course. So mm-hmm. I was pretty much going back to back, uh, retreats right on through, you know, between, I don't know, September of that year through, um, May, um, and it was, you know, the center was growing. Um, there was construction going on. Um, so it was looking even different from the previous times I'd been there. Um, and I, yeah, I entered this world of really seeing kind of behind, behind the scenes, you know, behind the curtain of, of the center. And yeah, um, in some ways, beginning to identify myself around being a server, uh, you know, at, um, I began to both manage courses in the kitchen as well as do course management. Those are, those are positions where you are, you know, taking more responsibilities on in terms of, you know, the retreat, the logistics of the retreat. Um, and so you're in some ways you, you know, um, you're representing, you begin a process of representing, um, the, uh, the tradition or the, you know, two, two new, folks who are newer, who are, who are there. So, you know, typically there might be, I think at that time there might be like eight servers. Um, Mm. some of them may have just done one course or so, but, um, and then I was also meeting very experienced meditators in the Mm. tradition and getting to know that world of, you know, the trustees who made the center operate and ATs who, you know, um, it was, that was a still a fairly new program at that time. Um, there were ATs in place and there were, and there were also ATs who were, I think they had kind of started beginning to create, um, senior assistant teachers. And, um, I think at the time there was another one called like, um, it wasn't a, uh, the full teacher, but it was, there was another term for it at the time. So, you know, I was getting to know that world, and um, that 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 period of time certainly had a, a, a very deeply conditioning, you know, and uh, experience on me. I'll be honest. Not only is asking for donations my least favorite thing in the world to do, I find it pretty uncomfortable as well. Yet, it is an unavoidable but necessary task in order to ensure that our platform can continue to bring you stories from post-coup Myanmar. And unfortunately, the truth of the matter is that there is a basic minimum cost to keep our engine humming. So please allow me to take a moment for that least favorite and uncomfortable thing to do, and ask sincerely for your generosity in supporting our mission. If you found value in today's show, and think others might as well, we ask that you take a moment to consider supporting our work. Thank you for taking the time to hear our spiel. And with that, it's off to work on the next episode. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go on to support a wide range of humanitarian and media missions, 
aiding those local communities who need it most. Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, Families of Deceased Victims, Internally Displaced Person, IDP Camps, Food for Impoverished Communities, Military Defection Campaigns, Undercover Journalists, Refugee Camps, Monasteries and Nunneries, Education Initiatives, the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies, COVID relief, and more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution to a specific activity or project you would like to support, perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause and both websites accept credit card. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to these respective accounts or email us at info at betterburma.org. That's Better Burma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A dot org. If you would like to give it another way, please contact us. We also invite you to check out our range of handicrafts that are sourced from vulnerable artisan communities across Myanmar, available at alokacrafts.com. Any purchase will not only support these artisan communities, but also our nonprofit's wider mission. That's Aloka Crafts, spelled A-L-O-K-A-C-R-A-F-T-S, one word, alokacrafts.com. Thank you so much for your kind consideration and support. Oh, ba, yarananda, da, 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 yar